Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Antonio Brown's found a new home. Is he a diva or is there a deeper problem? Helmets off is on. Hey there, uh, welcome to another episode of Helmets Off. I'm Scott Mitchell, your host. Got a fun show for you today. A lot of fun things to talk about and uh, we'll get right into it here with... Um, well, before we do, uh, if you could like us on Facebook at the Helmets Off Podcast, Twitter at the Helmets Off Show, and of course, uh, go to kslsports.com, download the KSL Sports app, and you will find a just a plethora of uh, sports information uh, that you, you might find interesting. Anyways, uh, so on with the show. All right. We've been doing this segment now for a month. The uh, University of Utah members of the Pac-12 Conference are in the middle of preparing for this wacky 2020 football season. And they're still, still prepping for the season to start. Uh, they have uh, two more weeks. Well, actually, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's one more week. Uh, we're getting down to, wow, uh, who knows? I mean, everyone else has had seven, eight weeks before, before the Pac-12 gets started. And, of course, there's this, uh, I don't know, exciting – quarterback battle going on at the University of Utah between Cam Rising and Jake Bentley. Jake's a uh, uh, grad transfer senior from South Carolina. Cam Rising is actually a transfer from uh, the University of Texas. Both of these players are excellent, and one of them is going to be the starter. But, you know, as I, as I look at this, and as I look at the season, there, there are two things that jump out at me. And uh, the first thing that jumps out at me is uh, Utah, of course, played in the Pac-12 championship a year ago and had a, a senior-laden football team. And, you, and I, I remember sitting at the Pac-12 championship game before it started and preparing to call the game. And I, I was looking through some of my notes and just the players. And I'm like, wow, what's this team going to look like in a year? As I look through it, I'm like, there are a lot of players on – this roster who have received significant playing time. These guys, you know, and, and, and contributed and, and have been a factor in things. And even though they weren't starters, they were, they were significant contributors. And, and that's on both sides of the football. And I just remember thinking this Utah football team is not going to be, um, you know, the cupboards aren't going to be bare. This is going to be a pretty good football team in 2020 if we could ever get the season started. And they, uh, so, so I was like, whoever the quarterback is, is not stepping into a situation where this guy has to be everything. The guy who's going to start 
is really in a, a pretty good situation. There is a lot of talent uh, on offense returning. Ben, pretty much every, every offensive starter from a year ago is coming back. Britton Covey is 100%, who was, is a playmaker who didn't play last year. Uh, Devin Brumfield and Jordan Wilmore uh, both played significant time last year, one were very good. And, of course, Utah's even, you know, they, they're four deep at running back. And, uh, and the, the tight ends are I, – I think Brant Keithy might be the best pro prospect Utah has. He is, he, is, uh, he is built out of that mode of NFL type of tight ends that are succeeding, uh, in, you know, in spades in the NFL. I mean, just, just a massive talent in my opinion. And, and so here you have all of this offensive weaponry. You have an offensive line that's bringing back four of five starters. Five of the guys have, have played or had significant time a year ago. So this is going to be a stronger, deeper, more experienced offensive line. So whoever the guy is, is going to step into a pretty darn good football team. Now there's, there's a lot of youth on defense and there's a lot of inexperience, but sometimes that youthful excitement can be a positive thing. So this Utah team, it may not be the traditional out of the mold like Kyle Whittingham likes it where we play to our defense kind of team, but it's going to be a very good football team. And this, this could lend to be a pretty exciting year for Utah in that four of their six regular conference games are very winnable. And the toughest game they have on their schedule is USC, and that's at home. And Arizona State has lost a lot. And so, it's, you know, a lot of teams are, are, can, can be taken. And, and uh, so Utah's in a very good position. And, and so that was my first point. Utah, whoever the quarterback is, really good position. But here's the point that I really want to make. This football season is not a football season. This is a glorified spring football experiment. That's all it is. If they're lucky to get in all seven games, hooray for them. That No one loses eligibility in this year. The NCAA said, you know, this is a freebie. So Utah, they should just whatever with this year. They should look towards – what is the best possible way for us to maximize the development of our football team? And look at this as spring football practice with games. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better situation to prepare yourself than what, what Utah's getting into. This, this is a joke, right? This season is not, it's not anything great. It's, it really isn't. It's just, it's a show that's just kind of, or uh, um, a season that's just, um, how do we say it? Um, it? It's it's not even a season. I mean, we're seven, eight weeks into this. The Big Ten will have played three games. They'll be into their third week before Utah even starts. So I don't know how anyone can, with a straight face, say, hey, great, great for the Pac-12. And quite frankly, I don't think the Pac-12 wanted to play anyways. I really think a lot of the schools in the conference said, you know what, we really don't want to play football. And most schools have done a tremendous job. College football has been exciting. There have been some really good teams. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know why they would not want to play, but they're not. And even though they're playing, they're really not. I'm not really sure how you could even take a Pac-12 team seriously and consider them, even if they're undefeated for the, for the, the college football playoffs. I don't care. It's just, it's just, it, it, it just, 
It doesn't feel like a whole season to me. And for that reason, and, and it is what it is, and I'm going to enjoy it, and I'm going to watch it, and it's going to be great. And if Utah wins a Pac-12 championship, hooray. I'll be excited. But the reality is, is, is this is an opportunity to develop players. And I think that might be a deciding factor in maybe who gets to be the quarterback. You know, if this, if this season started and was 12 games, maybe it's different. Maybe you go with a more experienced guy. But if you're really trying to develop someone and you really look at this season for what it is, maybe, maybe you go with the younger guy. And, and that, that might be a direction – that uh, that Utah takes, and, and it might be the smartest one because this season really is going to be hard. It's going to be hard to get seven games in in seven weeks, and it's only seven – it's half a football season. It is half a football season. So take it as a, as a glorified spring training, uh, spring football practice, and uh, get ready for next year. All right, we're going to take a break. We come back. Uh, oh, my goodness. <laughs> The Dodgers, who I grew up being a massive fan of, are now uh, world champions. And, of course, their um, spark plug, their, their, uh, the glue that kind of you know, held things together, the straw that stirred the drink, whatever, uh, Justin Turner, in the eighth inning of game six, as the Dodgers are leading, has to exit the game because he has COVID. That's crazy. Uh, we'll talk about it when we come back. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. All right, welcome back to Helmets Off. Yeah, you heard it. Dodgers won the World Series. I know you know that. But their, uh, their star, third baseman, Justin Turner, who has been the guy that's really kind of kept kept everything together, kept this team motivated, test positive for COVID, and this, and and it's strange how this happened because these teams are quarantined. They've been quarantined. There's there's really no way that he should have uh, contacted this. I mean, I mean, I shouldn't say no way, but it's highly unlikely. And they've been sequestered in a way that's kept everyone relatively safe. So it's a bit surprising. When, when this happened, and not only when it happened, I mean, it was the eighth inning of game six. And so the Dodgers win, and Justin Turner um, comes out of the dugout. No mask, kisses his wife, hugs his teammates, is interacting with his teammates, uh, is in the picture of the team, 
So it is such a microcosm of this whole crazy thing. If you remember back on March 11th, and I remember this because I was on the radio doing my radio show, and uh, it was reported that Rudy Gobert had tested positive. And, and this guy, Rudy Gobert, was vilified for the things that he had done. Vilified. I mean, it was, it was so ugly that he and star uh, guard Donovan Mitchell were not on speaking terms. And uh, Donovan was really upset with what Rudy had done. And of course, it, it caused a riff. And it caused, it was, the, it was the straw that kind of broke this camel's back and sent everything into a tailspin. I mean, everything. Every short, every, every sport shut down when this happened with Rudy Gobert. A lot of people were not, ha- I mean, death threats, I mean, crazy, just mean things said to Rudy Gobert. Not a darn thing said to Justin Turner. And, and you, you wonder, well, what, why is that the case? And, and I just, I find it fascinating that, hey, the team won the World Series, and here this guy, no one cares. At this point, it's like no one, no one cares. No one, no one really cares. And I, I think that's probably maybe the challenging part of this, uh, this pandemic is I really think underneath it all, people are like, yeah, it's not going to be me, not going to be me that gets sick. Uh, the people who are affected by this in a way that is, um, you know, detrimental to their health are, are typically older people. If it's a younger generation, it's someone with a pre-existing condition. And so most people are like, yeah, I might get sick. I might not. Oh, well. And, and yet there are other people going, this is putting a massive um, strain on our healthcare system. It's, uh, you know, 225,000 people have died. And that's a lot of people. And, and, but yet there's also this whole thing that, we saw what shutting down our country was. And I think people being home and being confined, I think it really hit people the wrong way. And they were, re- they were ready to say, look, I'm, I would rather take my chances. I'd rather get sick than to be confined where I was. And I'm not, I'm not here to, to be the moral police and say what's right and what's wrong. I just find it uh, quite riveting that Rudy Gobert, when this all started, and no one knew, you know, everybody's worried, and it's like, what's going to happen? And now we've seen what's, what's going to happen, and I really think that it's, you know, most people are like, I don't want to get, I don't want to be, I want to be cooped up. I don't think it's good for our economy to, to go on the, on the fritz, and, and we can't have that happen again, and I just think people are just like, like, I, I just, you know, we're just going to have to suck it up and we're going to have to deal with it. And, and that's just the way it is. And, and, and so I think the Dodgers said, look, we haven't won a World Series in all these years. And they just threw caution to the wind. And, oh, well, be fascinating to find out what actually happens uh, from this. to someone else, is this a super spreader event, as they call them? And are there other people and, you know, other ramifications of this? And it's just... It's just such an ironic twist that here's baseball who was going to get shut down at the beginning of all this, didn't even want to have a season, could hardly get things together, and have had a tremendous World Series, if you ask me, have a player at the very end of this, then had a 
positive test in two months. They have these guys, what they think is sequestered and protected, and one of the star players gets the virus. Anyways, it's, it's just kind of, oh boy. Uh, we're dealing with some just unusual and unprecedented things in our world and in, of course, the world of sports. All right, I'm going to take another break. Uh, when I come back, Antonio Brown has found a home. And why are people giving this guy the chance after chance after chance? I think I have an answer for you. Hey, welcome back to Helmets Off, uh, third and final segment of the evening. And of course, uh, well, I, I, I could be the day, it could be the evening, it could be whenever. Because you listen to this anytime you want, which is cool. And I appreciate you uh, tuning in to what I have to say in the show and hope you like it. If you have questions, whatever, you know, give me a shout out. Happy to answer. Uh, Antonio Brown apparently has signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, reunited with his long-term quarterback of one game, Tom Brady, when he was with the New England Patriots. And a lot of people are like, really? I mean, how many times are you going to give this guy a chance? Can you see that this guy is a problem and he isn't going to last? And coaches go, no, we don't see him as a problem. All we see is a talent. We see that he had a problem other places because they're not us. We're different. We're special. We're actually going to treat him in a way that his problems will not arise and they'll all go away. And you know what? They may be right and they may be wrong. And quite frankly, um, I think Antonio Brown is probably in the very best place he could possibly be to have any kind of chance at redemption, at returning on a, on a significant basis. I'm sure that Tom Brady, they, I'm sure Bruce Arians says, hey, what about Antonio Brown? And Brady probably said, this dude is amazing. Like, he's really good. And if we can just keep him away from himself long enough, he could really have an impact. And, and that's, that's why Antonio Brown has a place. It's because he has talent. And you cannot coach talent. You cannot manufacture talent. You cannot create talent. You just have it or you don't. And if you have it, you're going to get shot after shot after shot. And Antonio Brown's that guy. Look, Don Shula, all-time winningest coach in NFL history, I'm convinced would sell his own mother if it meant him winning a game. And I'm not talking a season. I'm just talking a game. This is a, such a competitive world. Professional sports anywhere, but professional football, they don't care. They don't care. They really don't care about your character. They don't. I'm sorry. They just don't. They don't care if you're a good guy, bad guy, whatever guy. All they care about is can you make plays on Sunday? And then can you keep yourself out of trouble enough to be able during the week to be able to come back and do it again? And then when you have all this freedom in the offseason, can you please stay out of enough trouble, not saying trouble, just enough of it, where you won't be able to come back again. And a lot of guys struggle. Now, I think there are two kinds of guys. There's the diva, 
And they're, they're, they would be people like uh, Terrell Owens, Terrell Owens, Terrell, Terrell, whatever his name is, uh, Owens, T.O., as he's affectionately called, Chad Ocho Cinco Johnson, who I guess is now Chad Johnson. Um, there's, you know, guys like that, okay? I can't think of anyone else off the top of my head. And they just go, I've got to be loud. I've got to be obnoxious. I need attention. And there's a, some reason or purpose that they need it. Another guy I was thinking of was Keyshawn Johnson, uh, who's actually a cousin to Chad Johnson, who actually coached him up. You know, Randy Moss was kind of a little bit of this. And, and you get some defensive backs, Jalen Ramsey today, Richard Sherman is a little bit like this. Uh, you know, and, and, and in my day, I mean, you had Deion Sanders, right? And Deion Sanders, I mean, he's a diva, but, but he's, kind of a, he's kind of a cool diva. You know, he's, he's, I mean, he's off-putting to some people, trust me. Uh, you know, you look at uh, Carlton Fisk or you look at some of these, uh, Tim McCarver, uh, and when, when Dion was playing baseball, they, they were not happy with uh, how Dion Sanders had a, a very casual kind of attitude towards baseball, right? And the reality is that Dion Sanders has had so freaking much talent, people were annoyed by it. Same thing with Randy Moss. I think Randy Moss is one of the most misunderstood guys in the NFL. Amazing talent, extremely immature, not ready to handle all of the big time whatever that comes along. And, of course, he grew into and learned how to deal with it over time. But, I mean, we're all like that. So there's, this, there's these diva players, right? And here's how coaches handle that. They go, fine, be a diva. I don't care. Uh, you know, be a pain in my side. Be whatever you want to be. You want to be a diva. You want to be boisterous and whatever. I don't care. As long as you catch the ball and as long as you play. But the minute we see your skills slip, you're out the door. You're gone. Okay, now you, you get a guy like Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice can stay around for as long as he wants. You get a guy like um, Larry uh, Fitzgerald. You get some of these just super, you know, Marvin Harrison, some of these guys that are just phenomenal. I remember the Marx Brothers, Mark Cooper, Mark Clayton. They were divas. They were quiet divas. They were kind of 80s, early 90s divas, you know, that, that were internally, they just were like, whatever. I remember Mark Duper being... Uh, mysteriously absent after a game on Sunday, and he had all these excuses. Barn burned down uh, in Louisiana. I had to go home. I got sick. And so Mark would basically go to the Bahamas on Sunday after a game and show up Wednesday morning for practice. And you know what? Coach Shula didn't care because he knew. So, so Mark essentially didn't come to practice on Monday, and Tuesday was the day off. Didn't care. But as soon as those guys started getting bad, he cared. Guys show up in a meeting with sunglasses on. And they immediately get into the meeting room. They start watching game film. They put their hands on the desk. They put their head in their hands, and they fall asleep. And, of course, the coach says, hey, you got to wake up and pay attention. And the guy says, look, don't harass me. Find me if you want, but leave me alone. And the coach says, fine, I'll leave you alone. But the minute your skills diminish, you're out the door. That's a diva. 
Someone like An- Antonio Brown, I'm not sure if he's a diva or not. He may have uh, some other problem. And the problem could be, you know, he may have some mental health issues that, that cause him to act in, an un- and in a really bizarre behavior. He may be someone who has a drug problem. And I've seen guys who act like divas and you go, this guy has the world in his hands and, and can't seem to keep it together. And I saw guys like this, you know, I, I remember Dexter Manley, who was really this amazing player. And he was like the only player who ever got suspended from the NFL, I think indefinitely for drug, drug abuse, which is like the most hard, it's the most difficult thing you could possibly do in the world. Another guy who had, was having issues with Brett Favre. I mean, Brett Favre had a had a, a prescription drug issue, and and it you know and he says, thank goodness it didn't have, in, impact my career, but it it could have. You know, Brett Favre could have been this guy that was just wow, all the talent in the world, but he couldn't keep it together. Found a way to to keep it together. A lot of these guys don't. I, you know, I see guys that that drugs become. Uh, the driving force in their life. And, and sometimes I wonder if it's not being able to handle the pressure of, and the demands of professional sports and they just, they just can't cope with it. And so, so off they go. And, and I don't know where Antonio Brown is. I just know that as long as the guy has talent and as long as he can play, whether he's a diva or whether he has a drug problem, this dude is going to get chances. And, and everyone's going to believe that they're the one who can kind of create an environment where he can be successful. And the reality is there's no environment that can do that. The player just has to make the choice. You just have to grow up. They have to make the choice. They got to figure it out. Some do and some don't. But NFL coaches and front office people <laughs> will always give talent an opportunity. Always give talent an opportunity. All right. Well, Helmets Off is now off. Thank you for joining us. Again, Facebook at the Helmet Off Podcast, Twitter at the Helmet Off Show. Until then, we'll catch you soon. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.